everybody. Praise God. There's sheets, as usual, on the, on the seat near you there. If you want to get a hold of one. And if you want to open up your Bible in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'll be reading from verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 17 in a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 8. let you find that. Okay. Today's message is entitled, Where's the Money? And I'll explain why it's entitled that as as it'll become very clear as we proceed. Everybody's got their pet hates, right? Well, one of my pet hates is people who say that churches shouldn't talk about money, right? It kind of drives you nuts. Now, years ago, it didn't drive me nuts, but now it does. If you have had benefit from this church, put your hand up. Any benefit whatsoever, at any time, somebody paid for it. Okay? Someone paid for it. The, the pastor called Winston Lee and Eunice Lee, who, who originally planted this church, someone paid to train them. Somewhere on the earth, actually Singapore, funds were raised so that they could be trained. Then a lot of money was raised so they could be sent. Then someone trained me, actually the same people. Then they had to pay me for many years. And many people, just like you, made consistent sacrificial giving over many years to make it possible for you to be here today and to have a good church to go to. Hallelujah. Amen. And what I guess why it's one of my pet hates is that very often it's a small percentage, but you find some of the same people who enjoy church complain about the raising of money. Hello? Hello? Wake up. Or the same people that enjoy watching Christian TV are the very same people who will complain not knowing that finances is the backbone of the church. Amen. You need money. We need to pump money into missions. And if you look at the church worldwide, the amount of financial needs are huge. I mean, every church has got its building fund and et cetera, et cetera, projects, missions, a conference coming up in June. All of that costs a fortune. And if you have a heart for the lost, what will happen to you is you will begin to develop a heart for raising money. Because you will very soon realize, if you even do one project, you will very soon realize that you need a lot of money. And you will see that that's, you know, crucial. They say that the most expensive word in the Bible is... Okay, okay. (laughs) Go. Because it costs to go. It costs for the pastor to be sent here, etc., etc., etc. So... If people say to you that we shouldn't talk about money or whatever, do not listen to them. It is absolute rubbish. It is unbiblical. It is ungodly. And it just shows that they don't really understand how to care for the lost and how to promote the gospel. Amen. So we need to have a passion for fundraising. We need to have a passion for pumping funds into world missions so that the church can continue to grow on earth. No one in Scripture talks more about finances than Jesus. No one in Scripture, and that's because he cares more about the lost than anyone. 
And so he taught us principles, right? Where's the money then? <laughs> Where's the money? We've got this book. It promises us so much, so much, so much said about finances. You know, your cup will be full and flowing over in abundance and shaken together and on and on and on, and God is not a liar. So where's the money? Where is it? What's wrong and where is it wrong? And that's what I want to look at today and maybe next week as well. I'll tell you where the money is. The money follows the purpose of God. That's where it is. It's prosperity, as a series we did a couple of years ago. It's prosperity as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. It is always prosperity with a purpose. Prosperity with a purpose. God blesses us, yes, because he loves us, yes, because we're his children. But he blesses us to channel through you. That's his hope, to trust you and channel through you finances into the kingdom. Hallelujah. And we must be trustworthy in this. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth so that he can confirm his covenant that he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Now, just read that one more time. And this time I'll, sh I'll, I'll show you the prosperity and the purpose. You may say to yourself, my power and strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. There's your prosperity. Followed immediately by the purpose. So that he can confirm his covenant. And Paul picks this point up as we'll see in a moment later in Galatians. So there's prosperity, absolutely. But the prosperity that God always talks about is prosperity that has a goal, a purpose of kingdom building. Probably the textbook is Philippians chapter 4. If you turn there, Philippians chapter 4. And this is the Bible's, the best chapter, if you like. Well, one of the best chapters in Scripture on finances, how to prosper properly as God would have it. My first point this morning is very simple. God's prosperity always follows the purposes of God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. And Paul has planted many churches and he's grieved because the people that he's planted, the churches that he's planted don't even care about him. They don't send funds back. They leave him isolated. And he's writing to the church in Philippi who were more generous, kinder, and, and, and more faith-filled people. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Now look at that. He's talking about concern and he's talking about finances because they've sent him a gift. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every circumstance, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry or whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share, uh, to share in my troubles. 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, wow, churches that these guys had planted, given their lives for, and they won't even send funds back. Terrible. Not one church shared with me. And that's terrible. Sorry, I lost my place. I'll start at verse 15. Moreover, as, as you, the Philippians, know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not, now, look at this. Not that I'm looking for a gift. Not that I'm looking for money. I'm not looking for money. But I'm looking at what might be credited to you or what? account. He uses a banking term. Not that I'm looking for any money from you, but what I'm asking you for is something that would be credited to your account. That's a heavenly account he's talking about. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And this is the punchline. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. We could spend weeks right there. Weeks and weeks and weeks to begin with. Note this. Paul is not looking for money for himself. You see that? He says, not that I'm looking for a gift. I'm not asking you for your money. I'm trying to extend the kingdom. I'm trying to build the kingdom. Now look at me, folks. When you watch the God Channel or you watch TBN, or you watch Inspiration, or any of them. There's a lot of good guys on there, and there's some dodgy ones, amen? And there's some guys looking for your money. And it is not the purpose. God has not prospered you so that you can give it to some quack, excuse my terms, on the TV. Amen. That's not the purpose. And, it's not, and Paul is making that very clear here. You keep your money in your pocket, and be careful where you put it. But what, God, what, what, what Paul is getting at is this. It's a much different point. He's saying, when you see that God is doing something, that's different. That's different. So if you're, you know, listening to the radio, watching television, or whatever, or something you hear, an appeal in the church, and something inside you says, that's God. That's God. Then you're giving into a purpose, not so much a person. Of course, there's times we give to people who are in need or gifts, and that's all fine. We'll cover that in a moment. But I just want to emphasize to you the importance of being sharp, discerning spiritually about where your funds go. Because if you sow your seed on rocky soil, it's not going to produce much. And I want my funds, I want my money to go into good soil that's going to see a return. Amen. I don't want to be foolish or unwise or cast my pearls before swine. So Paul makes that point clear, and it's a lesson I must learn, a lesson every minister must learn. I'm not asking you for money, I'm asking you for the purposes of the kingdom. Amen. Good lesson to learn. Secondly, he says, I've learned to be happy, I've learned to minister no matter what the circumstances. There's been times in my life when I've had a lot, but I stuck at it. Times in my life when I had a little, but we stuck at it, and I've learned the secret of keeping going in all circumstances. And that's fantastic. Crucial for the Christian life. Absolutely crucial. 
And Paul has learned, he calls it the secret. I've learned the secret of being happy or content in my life. And I, I, I hope we all can. Paul's secret is this. If I, take, if I turn off your heating, or I turn off your water, or I take away your fridge or your car, if I take things from you, there's a chance you might get a little unhappy, you know? I mean, if you're cold in the house or whatever, the absence of things can make you a little bit unhappy. You might grow out of it and get over it good. But you know what, folks? As, that's true. But what's equally true is this. The presence of things doesn't make you happy. You would think the opposite was true. You would think if the absence of things makes me unhappy, potentially, you would think that the presence of things would make me happy. But the presence of things in your life does not make you happy. Not necessarily. You see? So things can't do it. And that's what Paul is saying. My contentment, my happiness, is not in what I have. It's a deeper thing than that. There's been times when I've had, and there's been times when I have not had. And my happiness is not based on those things. And he's trying to bring us, you know, to a grown-up attitude here, in Christian terms, mature Christian attitude, to things. So that things don't dominate us. You see, folks, you can have God and money. It's not a problem. You can have money and you can have God. You just can't serve both of them, that's all. It's the serving bit. It's not the having. You've got money in your pocket right now, I hope. Right? A few people said no then. <laughs> you can have God and money. That's not the problem. It's the heart that he goes for all the time. It's what you're serving. It's what your motives are. It's what your intentions are. God's after the heart. So first point this morning, where's the money? Where's the money for us as a church? It's in planting churches. I don't want this to be an ordinary church on an ordinary corner in a pretty good city. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that. That's not our DNA. Our DNA, we come from one of the biggest giving churches on the earth. In fact, several years, I remember, it was the biggest giving church on the earth. And that's, that's miracle money. That's what that is. It, it, it's, it's finance that is supernatural because you just can't do that. You know, the, the, the church in Singapore, I don't know, I'm guessing, but I would estimate that they would probably have put into the kingdom, into missions, probably 600 million, 700 million, something like that, maybe more, over 30 years. That's a lot of dosh. Amen? And it's not even that big a church. And the, the senior pastor of that church, some of you will know him, most of you won't. It's a guy called Rick Seaworth. I was traveling with him in America. We did a lot of driving for many hours, and he, he, has, he has worked miracles this way, hundreds of millions of them. And so he's accessed miraculous funds. And when you're traveling with someone like that, you know, what do you say? Well, you say little, and you ask the right questions. I remember saying to him, Rick, where's the money? How did you do that? I got so much in my heart I want to do. So many things, so many dreams, so many visions. But how do you access that? Where does that come from? And he, he, he taught me. It's purpose. It's purpose. It's your life. And the second point there, he taught me that the money's not on earth. The real money, the heavenly money, is not actually 
existing on earth. You see, folks, I haven't got my wallet. But <laughs> if I held up a £10 note here, if you've got a fiver in your pocket, that is temporal. And you can buy yourself a Mars bar or whatever you want, and it'll be gone. So how do you make it eternal? How do you make it last forever? How do you get it into your account? Paul says you've got an account, or you can have. You can open one. How do I get it into the account? There's only one way. You have to give it. And this is the irony of scriptural finances. Only what you give away can you ever keep. Unless you lose your life, you'll never keep it. Same principle applies to your finances. Only what I give do I actually eternally keep. That's it. As simple as that. And the way I get it, I need to think and start thinking about that very bank account. What have I deposited there? I need to take my money and get as much of it as possible into the eternal, out of the temporal. Right? Paul says that the riches that come to us don't actually come from earth. Look what he says, actually. Verse, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs. What, according to your rich Uncle Bob? According to your career? According to this? According, no. And my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches in glory. Not on earth. In glory. Not on earth. And that's probably the greatest lesson we can ever learn is that God himself moves. God himself moves miraculously to provide finances in those lives, of the, in the lives of those who are genuinely seeking the purposes of God. Right? Once your heart is converted and your life is laid down and you give sacrificially, some attention, if you like, is created from heaven. Paul does not say to put your hope in people. He does not say that, I know people who will meet all your needs. He says that that money, that supernatural money, that miracle funds, he says it's actually in heaven. Not on earth at all. And my God shall supply all your needs. And many times, you know, Pastor Rick has warned us, told us, taught us, admonished us, you're looking in the wrong place. It's in glory. It's in glory. Stop looking onto men. Stop looking at one another. And start giving into your heavenly account. Start seeing with eyes of faith and believing this God who wants to prosper us so much. Paul is very clear. Even though people have given to him, and I'll come to that in a moment. Even though people have given to him, he's not, he, yes, he's saying thank you, but he knows the source of that gift. And he knows that it originated in heaven. It's supernatural wealth, supernatural funds. Now, our destiny, our DNA as a church is to get to that place. And I repent for not getting there faster or quicker because it's part of my job. It's part of what I've been told to do, taught to do. And most of our churches don't actually get to that place. But guys, we, we all need to do this. Everybody here needs to do this. Not this Missions Fifth Pledge, but the Missions Fifth Pledge before this one. All of you 
took up your pledge. And my pledge alone was greater than all of you put together. That's terrible. That's terrible. Because many of you earn 10, 15 times as much as I would earn, or Tom would earn. We get very little. So you need faith. You have to exercise your faith. You can't leave it to Singapore. You can't leave it to one man. That's not fair. It's not right. And so we need to replicate faith. We need to learn how to act in faith. So where is this wealth? We want to plant, I want to plant around 100 to 200 churches across Eastern Europe for the rest of my life. That's my goal. I believe that's the purpose of my life and the, one of the major purposes of this church. Now that means megabucks, huge amounts of money. So how do we actually access that? Because that's up there. That's in glory. How do we bring it down? Well, number one, get the purpose right. Remember, there's a big church on earth. There's a structure. Get yourself in line with a biblical one, a real church, a proper one, a Bible one, like this one. First rule. Get yourself in line with this. Then be told what your purpose is. Right? You're not the boss. Let someone tell you what to do because you're a soldier in an army. Don't be a, you know, lone ranger. Find out what the purpose is. And there's your calling in life. And that's the calling of this church, to raise up other churches. So it's prosperity with a purpose. Realize that whatever funds, and I know many of you, many of you have said to me that you believe that God has called you to supply funds for the kingdom. Thank God you're here. I thank God you're here. I thank God you're in this church. Praise the Lord for it because we need you. But you also need to take hold of biblical, scriptural principles and together we can exercise our faith and break through. Hallelujah. So it's prosperity with a purpose. It's for the extension of the kingdom in these last days. The riches are in heaven, folks, not actually on earth. And they're acquired, as all things, they are acquired by faith. And point three, my main point, is that it's, it's you that has to do it. Connecting this prosperity with the purpose is something that requires your ability. Look, if I give an altar call right now, and I say, if there's anybody here who's completely broke, don't do it, <laughs> come forward, be a stampede. It, like, whoever's completely broke, come forward, and I will pray for you, right? Because you need money. You come forward, you stand here, and all the pastors gather around and they pray for you. Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them. You know when you leave, you'll be broke. You'll be broke. Because it doesn't come that way. I like what David Pawson said. He said, isn't it funny how people spend so much time praying about finances when finances are the one thing in the Bible that you don't have to pray for? Because they come through principles, not prayer. I think that's an excellent statement. It's an excellent insight. Of course. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything will be added. Give? They're all action words. They're all commands. And as long as I'm obeying, that's what I'm told to do. It's not a prayer issue. It's an obedience issue. That's what it is. I need to obey and then enter in to whatever God wants to do through me. And that's the last point. You're, it's your responsibility to connect that. You need to open an account today in heaven not on earth. You need to open with understanding an account into which you give in faith. You give intelligently knowing what you're doing and giving and, 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 and sowing. And there's the principles. Well, you know them. 
just a load of, of, of principles from around Scripture. Number one, obey. God promises us so much. And this is God's economy. Number one, obey God. Obey God. And that comes with a promise that you will prosper. Number two, tithe. And we know that all too well. What does tithe do for us? It gives us protection. And as we saw in the first fruits message, it gives us addition is the way I would put it. And thirdly, we need to give. Now, giving is different. There's new people here all, all the time. So just to repeat, your tithe is a debt. If all you pay is your tithe, you're not a giver. Right? So the promise of multiplication. Jesus said, give, and it will be given unto you, shaken together, multiplied. Not tithe, and it will... No, no, no. You tithe, and when you give, I will multiply unto you, pressed down, shaken together. It's the giving that sees the multiplication, that sees the greatest increase. Right? So, so bountifully, point four. The Bible says that God provides seed to the sower. So if you don't sow, you're giving God nothing to bless. He's got nothing to multiply in your hands. You must sow. You must sow into the kingdom. So that gets extended. Hallelujah. Give him something to work with, as it were. God provides seed to the sower. Christians can be, oh, right? The most stingy people on earth. <laughs> Where's your faith? Even down on the streets, you know, when we're doing outreaches. And you could have, you see, standing with 50, 100 tracks in your hand, a big bunch of tracks, and they won't give them out. Give them out. Give them out. Spread your, your, your seed liberally, abundantly, so bountifully, God says. And he says, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. So why hold back? Point five, cast your bread upon the water, and after many days, it will return to you. Hallelujah. Just cast that bread and trust the Lord for the return. And point six is a mega point, huge point. I love it. It says this in Scripture. Those who give to the poor lend to the Lord and the Lord himself will repay them wow have you loaned God any money recently anybody here loaned God any money giving him a quick loan huh? that's amazing that's absolutely amazing those who give to the poor lend to the Lord what on earth does that mean well I'll tell you what it means when God created the earth, in some senses, he stepped back and left it in Adam's hands. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. So he left Adam in charge of the earth, and we're his descendants. And in some ways, he doesn't intervene. When he does, most often, he intervenes through people. He comes into the world through people. He puts thoughts on their hearts, that which they're to sow into. For example, Jesus, when Jesus was on earth, how was Jesus funded? Nobody know? How was Jesus funded? Did an angel turn up every Thursday at 4 o'clock and say, you know, sign here, Jesus, there's your check this week. This is your weekly support? How was Jesus funded? Well, Luke tells us. In Luke chapter 3, he says there was a, a woman called Mary, there was a woman called Susanna, whose husband worked in Herod's household, so probably a very well-paid person. It says that Jesus was supported by a group of women who looked at him and thought the Lord is there. God is moving there. That is something I am secure in blessing. 
right? Now notice that God the Father did not just drop the funds down to Jesus. He used a human source, you see? Because of the, it's the Adamic covenant, because of what happened in Adam, he gave Adam the earth. Because of that, he comes through men and women on this earth. And that's why the scripture says, those who give to the poor lend to the Lord. Because if there's a poor guy standing there with no food, God himself doesn't so much intervene. Although he can, and we do have miracles, but typically, God doesn't intervene. But when a Christian walks by, that child with hunger, or that poor person, and the Christian goes, oh, hey, here, take that. The Lord sees it. And he says, that's my will. I have seen what you have done, and I myself will repay you. That's massive. Do you understand that? Do you understand it? Nod my head. Nod your head like that and say, just do it anyway. It'll encourage me. (laughs) God wants to come through you to bless the poor because it's his will to do that. He wants to do that. And when you do that, it comes with a promise. Now, undoubtedly, we could go around this room and you could tell me of instances in your life where you have seen God repay you. I I, I shared this story with you when I worked for an, an organization called Open Air Campaigners. And they used to do street preaching and school evangelism. And they took me on staff and they gave me a commission. And my commission was to go into the Catholic schools across South Wales. Well, so much for that commission. I had a list of about 40 schools or something. And I rang them all up and I said, I'm a Pentecostal minister. I'm going around schools. They want me to come in and do assemblies, assembly hall every morning. No, 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 no. No. And you pray, you fast, and I went before God and tried everything. I think about two weeks went by. And one day, I'm on the floor. I'm just face down before God. And God tells me to get up and ring the schools. And I sort of look up and say, I've been ringing the schools for two weeks, you know. Get up and ring the schools. So I get up, I pick up the phone, I put my finger on the... I'll ring this number. Hello? Hi, my name is Mike McKeever. I'm from Open Air Campaigners. We're doing some work in schools. I just wondered if you would be able to accept me into your school to do a school assembly. And the guy says, who are you? Uh, My name is Mike McKeever. I know you. You know me? I know you. And you know where he knew me from? About three, four years prior, there had been some famine in Africa, I presume. And the local Catholic church where I lived at that time was having like a big jumble seal type thing to send money to that place. And I took a very large offering, financial offering, and I went and I asked to speak to whoever's in charge. And I said, put that cash in. And he he said, who are you? And I told him who I was, and he never forgot. He said, I know you. I've met you. He said, come and see me. That man got me into 34 schools. The Lord repaid me. Not with money, with something so precious you can hardly speak it. The opportunity to speak to 10,000 children over a three-year period three times a year. Because that's what I used to do at the school assemblies. Fantastic. And I remembered that that's that promise, that scripture, that if you're kind to the poor, if you bless the poor, it's the most exceptional of promises. Because God says, I'll deal with you myself. I will see to it that whatever you have given is repaid. 
And I thank God that it wasn't money because I got something far better. You give to the poor and you just don't know what God will do. All kinds of things. Look at the book of Acts. You'll see another example there in Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, look at this. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to, to, to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. Then the angel answered, look at this, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Wow. Wow. He's a promise-keeping God. A promise-keeping God. Cornelius didn't actually get funds in the way God repaid him. What happened was he sent him to the apostle Peter with a word, with a, a, a vision. Peter got a vision, and he ends up taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But Cornelius didn't think about that when he was giving alms to the poor. Then he never thought that someone could receive a vision like that simply because God will keep his promise and pay you back. So that's a big one. Whoever uh, gives to the poor, the Bible says, lends to the Lord. Point number seven. Scripture says, scatter and you will increase. Now that's just good business sense. What that means is this. It means to diversify your portfolio. In other words, if, you have, if you're a businessman and you have all your money in property or all your money in stocks or one particular type of stock, that's a bad business plan. The Bible doesn't say to do that. It says scatter. Put a little here, put a little there, because you don't know which will succeed. That's what Proverbs says. You don't know which one will succeed. So be sure to diversify. In fact, every good bit of advice concerning business you will find in here but the bad stuff you won't <laughs> go out and borrow 600,000 pounds you know excessive borrowing that we've seen of the, of the last two decades you won't find that in here you won't find bad business practices you'll only find wise ones godly ones so God says like you know not to do that type of thing diversify your portfolio your holdings your investments, your stock in life in whatever form you have that. Point number eight, the generous person will be made rich. Hallelujah. God is generous. Jesus, in one of the parables, challenged the crowd. And he said, are you, are you, are you mad because I'm generous? God is a generous God. And so the nature in you should also be generous in every way. The Bible says, water others and you yourself will be watered. Now notice that all of these things are things that you must do. And I have to say, folks, if I'm in poverty, that's my fault. It's my fault. If I am not a channel for the finances of God, God must be bursting to get through. And when he finds one, like, what's his name? Mike, Mike Rogers in America. That guy's traveling all over the place. He went from nothing to 75 million like that. Just obeying simple things like this. Honoring the poor, honoring the Lord, doing the time, and then doing it with the right motive. Hallelujah. 
If, I, if, if I'm poor in these areas, I blame myself. I don't blame God at all. I blame myself for not putting these principles into practice. Now look at Genesis 12. This is where this all began. Genesis chapter 12. This is fantastic. And those of you here when we looked at blessings and curses may remember this scripture. All blessings that you've ever had in your life come from this blessing. This is the mother, if you like. This is the mother of all blessings. The Bible talks about the blessing. Okay? The blessing. And from the blessing come all other blessings. And this is it. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to, had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So in case you didn't get the point, Abraham was going to be blessed. Amen. Now, look at me. Who's that talking about? Who's God talking to here? Who's he talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking directly to you. Oh, but he's talking to Abraham. I know he's talking to Abraham. But he's talking to Abraham. And he's talking to his loins, if you like. He's talking to the seed of Abraham. To Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those who walked in, in forward faith under the old covenant. He's talking to those of the Jews who turned and repented and got saved. He's talking to Christians in all generations. He's actually talking to you. Because the purpose of your salvation, like any good father, God saved you so that he could bless you. Turn to Galatians. And you really need to see this one, folks. Turn to Galatians chapter 13. Galatians chapter 13. And the Apostle Paul, the same guy who wrote Philippians that we just read, who understood finances... Philipp, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Fantastic piece of scripture. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Look at verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, you see, might come to the Gentiles through Jesus. So that by faith, we... And that's us today. So that by faith, that promise would be ours. Hallelujah. God has not held anything back from us as a generation or from you as an individual or from us as a church. And I don't know about you, but I tell you what, in 2011, I intend to break through on this subject. Because there's too much to do and there's too little time to do it in. I need to know where my blessing comes from. My blessing comes from the Lord. And I don't care whether you're a businessman or whatever your job is. That's fine. That's not a problem. But you can prosper greatly either through that or on a sideline because your heart should be to raise funds for the kingdom. Amen? You should want to give more every year, every week, every month so that the kingdom of God can be established, can be extended. And that's going to be a recurring theme for us as a church because it's part of how we will grow, right? I'll invite the worship team back. Point one this morning 
is the prosperity that God's talking about always follows a purpose. Point two is plain and simply that the, the money's not on earth. It's, it's miraculous money. It's miracle money that comes from heaven when you obey the Lord. But you've got, in point three, you've got your part to play and there are things you must do. Tonight at 6.30, we're going to pray in these three points. Do you know what I want to do? I want to purify my given. I want to sanctify my given. And tonight we're going to look at those things and pray about the purpose of your heart, the purpose of your life, so that no matter what you do, you can commit it to God. If you're a bus conductor, you say, God, I know this is what I do. I give this to you. I lift it to you as an offering. I give it to you. Now bless me in my job. Give me wisdom about how to, you know, prosper and grow. And tonight we will work our way through those three points and sanctify your finances. Sanctify your giving. Sanctify your motives of your heart so that they're not self-centered, but they're kingdom-minded. Amen? Amen.